0: Today we start a brand new series called uh, Faith That Works. Do you have a Bible? Uh, If you have a Bible, go with me to James chapter 1. If you're not sure where James is, go to Revelation in the back of your Bible and uh, just go forward through, you know, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation, so back up from there, That's James. If you hit Hebrews, you've gone too far, right after Hebrews. It's always good to be with the brothers and sisters in the Lord, isn't it? And Just to enjoy the company together and I'm excited for the things that are happening over the summer, the ministry things happening. It's really good things. Have you ever gone into a store to buy something and when you go in to buy it, it doesn't matter if it's a small gadget, something you just need, an electronics piece or a big appliance, doesn't matter. You always go in with the hope that what you're going to bring home from the store, it actually works, right? Have you ever gotten something, gotten it home and it doesn't work? Then you don't know, is it broken or am I just not doing it? right just not working this thing right or whatever it is when you sign up for something or you buy something join something or whatever it is you you hope it works right no one hopes it doesn't work and so it is with our faith when we step into the faith and step up to embrace christ in personal faith we hope it works we hope with a whole heart that This is going to work because we desperately need the faith, but we need the salvation, but we need the relationship with God in Christ. And we don't need a faith that stalls out or that somehow doesn't always work or is not reliable. We want a faith that's consistent. In short, we need a faith that works. Well, welcome to the brand new series called Faith That Works, and it's about a 10-week study. We'll see how far it goes. Through the book of James. And uh, the book of James is only five chapters long, It's an easy read. I'm going to encourage you during this series to read it, oh, maybe two or three times a week. It only takes 20, 30 minutes to read. And you're going to find some favorite verses. If you just do that a couple times every week, just take 20, 30 minutes. Just read through the book. You're going to find yourself falling in love with the book. And so as we open the pages of the scriptures, let's ask the Lord to be our teacher. So Lord, show us your way, would you please, in your word. How this living and powerful word and it is that how it can be applicable to our lives because we need a vibrant life we don't need just uh just the philosophy or just the history or we don't need to know that it worked for so many other people but not for us we need this faith to work for us so help us to make sense of this faith and to see it alive in our lives we pray apply your word of james to our hearts we pray In the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. Well, we only have 10 weeks, and so I need to get moving through the text. Today I'm hoping to get through verse 1. You laugh. I am not laughing. There's a lot here. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, Greetings. Wow. Stop there. James. Seems like I know more than one James. Do you have? A, you know more than one James? Oh, you mean that James, this James, that James. Why didn't James use his last name when he gave us this James? Because we don't know which James it is. The Bible has several Jameses in it. So why didn't he use, a like, a James and then give his personal identification number or social security number or something, give us some kind of text pay ID number, do something, or even a last name, some kind of lineage here. Uh, I I don't know why he didn't do that, partly because they didn't have last names back then. If you go and look at the Old Testament, oftentimes they would say, his name is Bob. Not really, but Bob, and he's the son of Bob Sr., who was a shepherd in this town, and they would give this lineage. That, That was a big deal. Today we use last names. We have identification numbers, and everything seems to have a code because everybody wants to track who you are and what you're about. Have you ever noticed this? you're gone uh, uh, and you go to buy something? And they don't let you buy it unless they, you join their club. Have you ever had this happen? Okay, like you can't even you can't be anonymous anymore. Um, a few weeks ago, we were living big. It was a Friday, and Wanda calls me. And says, "Hey, let's just order pizza. Oh, That'd be great." So I. I'll pick it up on the way home, you call, boom, you know, 15 minutes, it's ready, I'll be in the parking lot, and I, oh, I decide, let's go big, let's go all out, I'm going to get a two-liter bottle of pop. It's Friday. So, so I stop in this grocery, which is next to the pizza parlor, which is, by the way, next to this exercise place, that, that should not be, that should not be. But anyway, I go in the grocery store, I go to buy this two-liter bottle of pop, I I, they don't let me pay for it because are you a member? Oh no, I just want to. I just want to pay for a ball pop. My pizza's gonna be ready in seven minutes. I want, I want hot pizza. Well, you know, if you join our club, okay. What do I have to do? I, I look, and there's like four guys in line now. They're like, oh, here we go, because I gotta give them my name, address, birthplace, how I voted the last two elections, my blood type. You know, yeah, you join those clubs, right? And then, then guess what they do? They took like four cents off my ball of pop. That was not worth the seven minutes it cost me. I have cold pizza for four stinking cents. I have anger issues, but I already know that. (laughs) If you had that happen, you go into a bookstore. You can't buy the book without joining the club because they want to track you. I'm saying to myself, is root beer that much of a controlled substance that you need to know who buys it and what home they take it to? Can't you just buy it? Can I just lay money on the counter and walk away slowly? No, no, we want to track you. Have you ever purchased something online? You ever had this happen? You're shopping online. The next time you get online, guess what happens? Your stuff shows up again. Have you had this happen? And you wonder why we're not paranoid. We have good reason, because they're watching us. That's why. Well, see, if James were born today, we would know which James. But we're not exactly sure. We have a fair idea, though. Pretty good idea. There's a James in the Bible who is James' the son of Zebedee. He's the brother of John, probably not the author. There's a James who's the son of Alphaeus. He's the brother of Matthew. Very little is known of him. There's a James who's the, who's the, the father to Judas, not Iscariot, a, a different Judas, very unlikely him. By the way, these Jameses all are part of the scriptures. Many of them died really early in, in uh, the historical Uh, So they they couldn't have authored the book. And we do that. We date that book because we know what events are taking place and the language they're using and the kind of of language that's being used. And so we know these guys probably aren't, it isn't within their vocabulary to be writing a book like this. There's James the Less who stood with Mary at the foot of the cross, probably not him. We have really, really high confidence that this James is the actual half-brother of Jesus. Now, What that's telling us is this. This is a guy who grew up with Jesus, who saw the miracles, who heard the stories. But remember, you have to understand this. Even though James was born to Joseph and Mary, he grew up with Jesus. We We have a family here, but he doesn't really buy into his older brother's salvation. He doesn't sympathize with Jesus. He doesn't understand the ministry of Jesus. In fact, as he becomes an adult, He's actually embarrassed. He's actually in moments hostile because he doesn't get what Jesus is teaching. John chapter 7 says that, that, John writes that Jesus' brothers really didn't believe in him. They tried to distance themselves from them. And later, he'll become the leader in the church in Jerusalem. He'll preside over a council that will be a transition from just a Jewish church to a church that's both Jewish and Gentile. Now, this all would have been solved if we'd had pictures of you know joseph and mary and the kids right but every picture you have of jesus there's joseph and mary but no other kids you ever notice that why is that well it's because he's the oldest how many of you are the oldest yeah there are lots of pictures of you right <laughs> this, you have a thousand pictures of the oldest right the second born they have like 500 right the third born i happen to know this i was just looking at some family pictures third born we have one picture of the day they were born and then the day they got on the bus for kindergarten, right? Isn't this true? Like there's just this mystery years, and then this, the next picture is when they're graduating from high school, you know? The fourth child, we don't have any pictures of them, so then we just beg pictures from the firstborn, drag them over. Oh, no, that's you, honey. I don't even have that outfit. I never had that outfit. That's his outfit, right? Because so you just don't have many pictures. You never have a full picture of Jesus with his brothers and sisters, with Joseph and Mary all, you know, it just isn't going to happen. But what we do know is this. James grew up with Jesus. He ate at the same table, worked at the same carpenter shop with Jesus. He played on the same ball team with Jesus, probably a little soccer. He went to the same temple, worshiped, went fishing with Jesus, went and skipped rocks with Jesus, but he never really bought in until Jesus rose from the dead. And Luke tells us in Acts that when Jesus rose from the dead, you know, it's like a faced plant, James goes, oh my gosh, this might be right. And he becomes a Christ follower late in the game. Now there's some implications to this, huge implications. You're saying authorship, we're, we're one word, James. That's all the further we've gotten so far in the book, and there's a ton of application. One is this, being the half-brother of Jesus, what we're gonna get from him is firsthand, really close, reliable information. That's huge this is not distant information. Number two, it's going to be credible. It's going to be, the credibility is sky high, and the history and the humanity of Christ is affirmed because there is already early on, they would say about Jesus, well, he was like an angel. He was Savior. And, and James would be able to say, no, I saw him. He's absolutely human. We ate at the table together. We played ball together. He skinned his knee. He bled. We know he is absolutely human. So because of this family connection, we see not only a divine Savior, but a Savior who is absolutely human. Now, the implications could continue because there's a lot of legend. There's probably more legend about Mary than there's actually fact about Mary. A simple reading of Scripture will tell you Mary had more children than just Jesus. But Jesus grew up in a family with not just Joseph and Mary, but these other kids. And, and so they were spectators to spirit to the spectacular, to the absolute miracle. But other than that, this couple was a normal couple. It helps us to understand just how wonderfully blessed Mary was to be able to see this. But there's another implication, and this goes beyond. Some of you may have adult children, and those adult children never have embraced Jesus. Or maybe they embraced Jesus, and now they're on kind of a break. (laughs) They don't really do the church thing, and they're trying to find their faith. And some of them are just deciding to walk away or deciding they're, they're not really sure or they're trying to mix it with other things. And James is a reminder to you and me to not give up. Because James lived with Jesus and saw him. And in his mid-twenties, when Jesus was in his early thirties, it wasn't until then that James really got it and became a Christ follower. He really didn't believe in Jesus till after the resurrection. And there I say that to you because you may have adult children who still don't fully embrace Christ. My word to you is don't give up because they may be on the way and they may be just one miracle short of really embracing the Lord. So don't give up. So the first thing we see is which James? This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. Okay, the second question is how does he describe himself? He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Servant of God, Servant is the Greek word, ancient um, New Testament word is called Koine Greek. It would be street language Greek. It's the word doulos. It's our word for slave, literally a slave. We don't like that because it just that rubs us wrong. We don't like slave or the thought of slave. Frankly, if you or I were James and this were New Testament days, and if our brother, our half brother were Jesus, we would find a way to get it into the conversation. Would you not? if you're, you're your half brother if my half brother were Larry Bird I would find a way to get it into the conversation right I I don't care if my just I would just go oh you know Can you imagine if James didn't believe in Jesus but he wanted to drop a name he said well my name is James <laughs> you probably heard of Jesus <laughs> he grew up with me actually I kind of knocked the rough edges off of him and kind of helped him out get started in his career yeah, if you need any help, need a, you know, any, anything at all. In fact, one day when we were growing up, I said to Jesus, hey, pass the bread. Oh, by the way, that bread's a little stale. How about you take these rocks and make them into some warm, hot deliciousness of bread? You can do that, can't you, Jesus? So if you're having a birthday party or something, you want some miracles? Call me. I can get you Jesus. I mean, that's what we would do. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't name drop. He doesn't overpromote. His ego is totally gone what does he say he says i am a servant of god literally i am a slave of god and of the lord jesus christ get the implication the identity is absolutely settled there is no self-promotion there's no ego there's no self what john say he must increase i must decrease that's exactly what's happening with james And by the way, if James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, if he calls himself a servant, what should we be calling ourselves? Oh my, nothing more than that. Nothing more than that. We are servants of the living God. Our identity is settled as servants because we answer to the name that is above every name he has imprinted upon our hearts. And so self-promotion is all gone. So how does he describe himself as a servant? And that's how we describe ourselves. Number three is the third question is, who is he writing to? He's writing to the 12 tribes that are scattered among the nations. Now, that's an obvious reference to the 12 tribes of the 12 groups of Israel, God-fearing Jews. But he's writing to Christians. So these are Jews from every tribe, every people language, but they've been scattered. Uh, it's the word diaspora. It's that dispersion. They've been persecuted, so they've scattered to the wind. These are Christians that are everywhere in the world. That includes you and me. You see, what was happening was Christians were being persecuted, first century Christianity, and so they, they, they took their faith with them when they, when they spread. And historians tell us that these people, it's hard for us to get our heads around, but they were persecuted, they lost their jobs, They lost their property. Oftentimes they lost family connections, but what they did not lose was their faith. They still took the faith wherever they went. And they needed some sense that someone would understand their suffering, someone would understand their identity, their Jewishness, their their ethnicity, if you will, their roots, but would understand, first of all, that I'm a Christ follower. And James could understand, he could get that. Their pain overwhelms them, and they needed someone who would just not only understand it, but encourage them. And give them hope and give them help and wisdom. And James offers that kind of wisdom. So the implications are really clear. That this is wisdom for all people in all places. And particularly, this is wisdom for Christians, for Christ followers. You see, the tone of this book is different. This, this, the tone of this book is different than Romans or Galatians or Philippians. I, they each have a different purpose and yet they all seem to glorify God, but this one's written particularly to Christians, and so there's a lot more insider information. And Just by way of an overview, understand this, that, that James was probably the earliest book written of the New Testament books, and it's probably the most practical, too. It, it doesn't go into great depths of teaching. What it does is it applies what these people already knew. His words of wisdom drop in on us in recurring story form, and and probably next to the Savior, James is the best storyteller in the Bible. Scholars tell us that, that, that when Jesus would preach a great sermon, what do you know about his great sermons? You don't have an outline. You have a story. You have an illustration. When James makes a point, he tells a great, great story. And his words are commanding. Out of the 108 verses in James, 54 of them include imperatives. Now, you know what a... a A declarative statement is an interrogative statement it's a question declarative is just making a statement interrogative of the question these are imperatives stop go now i command you that's that's the imperative 54 imperatives are found in this five short chapters of james and yet there's still some heartwarming to his writing he calls these people his brothers more than a dozen times he calls them beloved brothers several times. He quotes Old Testament just five times. Why? Because they already know the Old Testament because they're Jews. But, be, but he alludes to Old Testament pictures all the time and Old Testament stories. And this would be the base for those stories. And he would, he would be rich in history and rich in these pictures. And so sometimes you, when you read James, quite frankly, you're going to hear the words of Jesus come out because he's actually re-quoting, it seems, Bits of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those. Blessed are these. Blessed are these. You kind of sense that about James. You know why he was so close to Jesus. It just exudes. Some of the material just exudes. What we're going to find from James in the next few weeks is this. Not only the purpose of trials, but what true religion looks like. We know from John that true Christians are loving people. That's who they are at the core. But then they are also pure, holy people who are very compassionate people. They're known for their compassion. You say, well, I I know Christians who aren't compassionate. I I, I wonder if they're Christians. They're not very loving. Uh, You wonder if they're Christian. James will describe them what true religion is all about. And the work of the word in our lives and facing the issue of partiality because we play favorites. It happened then, it happens now. How do you deal with people who play favorites? And the nature of faith and how it works itself out. And controlling our mouths, that'll be a great lesson. How to control our mouths. How to stop the firestorm of, in relationships. And then and then, what wisdom really looks like. And worldly wisdom and foolishness. And how to handle riches and how to handle the money that God does give you. And how to be patient when he doesn't give you what you think you, you want or you think that you deserve. And how to keep your word, use your words, how to pick the right words. And then finally... Um, what confession even in prayer and patience and even in the moments of of illness how do you pray in moments like that that's all in front of us in the next few weeks but James knew that these 12 tribes were religious people they were Christ followers who had rich heritage of faith but their identity is wrapped up in their heritage at the temple and their lineage on the property and now all that's dispersed it's all gone So when James starts out by identifying himself, he doesn't identify himself with this great lineage. He identifies himself as a servant of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm writing to all the churches. And he says, with that kind of perspective, I want you to know, you're only gonna make this if you are a servant. Let me go with you the next few minutes just through the five chapters. If you have your Bible open, look at verses two, three, and four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Do you ever rejoice when you have trials? Oh, goody. No. We'll talk about that. Because a servant is positive, even under pressure, because you know that it's going to increase your faith, and that faith is going to produce perseverance. So you have to ask yourself, how do I handle problems? Do I get nervous or uptight? Some people get negative or sweaty palms. Other people get jumpy and nasty. And James says... Let perseverance finish its work so that you'll be perfect. You'll be mature, complete, not lacking anything. And it's trouble, it's pressure that's going to make you a better person. Let God work on, listen, let God work on what happens inside of you so that small miracle that only you will see, no one else will even see that but let him calm your heart when you face trials. Let him increase your faith and the trouble will be good in your soul. It will help mature you, make you a better person. That's chapter one. Chapter two, a servant is a people person. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, verse eight, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. You see, the servant will make the effort to see the situation from the other person's perspective. In fact, I'm encouraging you to do that this week, even before we get to chapter two. When you are seeing something differently from the other person, give up your own position and try to see it from their perspective. It might give you some better perspective. It might give you a little bit of patience and understanding. You might get some insight. But you may be just loving your neighbor to do that. And that is doing the right thing, verse 8. Thirdly, a servant will watch his mouth. Because we all stumble in many ways, verse 2 says, chapter 3. Anyone who's never at fault at what he has to say is perfect is able to keep the whole body in check. In other words, if I can get your mind in check, the rest of the body will seem to follow suit. Your ability with your tongue will be the measure of your influence for good in life. And you know the saying, loose lips sink ships. Well, loose lips also ruin lives. They shut down communication. They create damage that you can't repair. It's hard to repair. You ever met a person like this who just says, well, look, I just have to get it out of my system. I just got to let them know i got to give them a piece of my mind. You ever had? you ever heard that? I've heard that more than once. Where I go, oh my goodness. You know what? You need to give them a piece of your mind, but you, you need every piece of your mind you n- have. <laughs> you, you shouldn't be giving it away quite that easily. <laughs> Write that down because you may need that later. <laughs> you ever had that people who just, I just have to get it out. You know what? They just get it out. You know what? We're 30 days cleaning up the mess that creates. Right? Because they just had to get it out. But you know what? In that moment where they had to get it out, they used improper language with improper emotion, and their words were overreactive and overreaching, and, and it wasn't healthy communication. It was very destructive. And once those words are out, it's hard to get them back in, isn't it? And what James is saying is if you can control your mouth... The rest of your body will follow suit. Now, you can let it out if, if your mind and your heart and your soul and your whole being is holy and righteous and balanced and full of grace and full of truth. Well, I just haven't ever met a person who has all that figured out yet. That means we have to put what King David said, I put a guard on my mouth, put a guard on my heart. What did the Proverbs say? Because put a guard on my, my heart because out of it are the issues of life. Sometimes when we speak, we're doing it because we feel threatened. We're actually betraying what's really going on, the real conflict happening inside of us, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. That's a few weeks down the the way. As a servant of the Most High God, when you speak, understand this, people view you speaking for Almighty God. Therefore, your words really do matter. So our words have to be like what King David said, may the words of my mouth, and even more importantly, the meditation of my heart, Be acceptable in your sight. You've got to get this right, God, because people around me will get a sense of who you are in light of what I do and how I speak. A servant watches his mouth. Number four, chapter four, a servant's a peacemaker. What causes fights, quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires of battle within you? If you like to argue, that's a problem. If you think arguing should be an Olympic event, that's a real problem. James will teach us to pick our battles carefully because some things just aren't worth it. And here's what we have to remember. You and I are not God. We don't have perfect perspective. The battle that we're fighting might be within about our own stuff as much as it is about the stuff that's being presented. And we have to understand even our own motives. It really is humbling when we ask the Lord, Lord, I want to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker because I want to be and I need to be a servant. And number five, a servant is patiently prayerful. Verse seven, then verse 16. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Then verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful, it's effective. Being a servant, we know know we're not in charge. We wait upon the Lord's directives. And that builds character within us and teaches us to rely upon the Lord. This simply demands us to clear the channels of communication because what's the number one job of a prophet? Is it to speak for God? Not really. It's actually to listen to God before he has anything to say. The servant then is positive under pressure, people person, watches his mouth, is a peacemaker, not a troublemaker, and is patiently prayerful. And that, folks, can only happen. We want all those outcomes, right? That will only happen if we choose to be a servant. A servant. And that's exactly how James describes himself. And so my prayer this week, and I'm hoping it will be your prayer too, that our prayer together will be, for God, God, may I see myself as I truly am, a servant of yours through Jesus Christ to the church that you love. Take that right back from verse one. I'm a servant of the most high God through Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes, Christians everywhere to the church you love. And if that became our prayer and our, our kind of our heart's affection to think what good the Lord would do in our hearts and lives. I'm going to encourage you to make that your prayer this week. Let's bow together. And as we pray, let's stand to our feet, shall we? As we go to prayer, by the way, I just say it again. If you need to, need to embrace Christ as Savior, you need to just pray with somebody. You want to have someone bless you or just pray over you, step up to the front and to the left. At the close of the service, elders will be there that are more than happy and willing to, to be of ministry to you. They're more than willing to listen, to pray over you, and then let you loose. But here's our prayer, God, that we may see ourselves as we truly are. Would you make out your prayer? I am a servant of yours, God, through Jesus Christ, to the church you love. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the letter that James wrote and you have preserved through the ages. May his posture for the writing of the book be our posture for life. And may we see ourselves as a servant to the one true living God. We pray in Christ's name. The church says, amen.